0: I gotta see this movie This is what I've been I, wanting for you have,
1: go, you have to go see this movie You know it's got a lot to do with FC Cincinnati If you think about it Do tell um, them. Yeah so I think I think Robert Pattinson is a lot like Lucho uh, He's better known <laughs> from another franchise He's coming in here People are questioning how it's gonna work And I gotta say He's not missing a beat um, Am I the only
2: person, by the way, that like didn't know that Robert Pattinson was in Harry Potter? Like that was a mind blowing fact to me the other day. Like I completely whiffed on that—that that he had been what, like Cedric Diggory or whatever his name was. It,
0: on all honesty, he's a minor character in one movie, but uh, he has an like, important all death. Him, all
2: I knew him for was like the the sparkly vampire dude in those books that everybody <laughs> seemed to read, but me.
1: So um, I'd also say another FC parallel in the Batman is uh, Colin Farrell is like Yu Yakubo in that he's a star who's played out of position. But <laughs> after you see it, you know he really is the right guy for the job. And then uh, Paul Dano, I think, is like Jürgen Lacadia because on paper, it should work. And you definitely see the effort and you see how his skill set is supposed to fit in there. But ultimately, um, I don't <laughs> like... I, I didn't really oh dig God. the result. And I... I hope we move on from him. (laughs) I I mean, on
0: that note, hey. Every
2: time I watch FC Cincinnati, every time you watch this team, I feel like I need vengeance against somebody. I just, (laughs) I feel that need to just beat somebody up after watching this team. We
0: we might need the world's greatest detective to uh, sort out what's actually wrong with this franchise, I think. Um, Guys, on that note, (laughs) welcome to episode three of the postcast. We're, we're we're in the thick of it now. Uh, I'm going to be your host once again, three weeks running. We haven't missed it yet, assuming I post this on time, uh, Kevin Wallace. And I am joined, as always, it seems, can we say as always, three weeks in, uh, with the one and only Grayson Chalmers. Grayson.
1: Hey, glad to be here again. And I burned my bit uh, in the Batman discussion. So move on.
0: No, that was great, and and Chief, Chief is here as well. Hi, hi, Chief.
1: K Dub,
2: swear to me,
0: <laughs> guys. I got <laughs> I got to see this Batman movie. Uh, my my personal life has made it so that movies aren't really a thing I get to partake in anymore. But uh, you know, if it if it comes to uh, as we discussed last week, if it makes it to my local blockbuster, I'll be happy to rent it uh, for a little bit there. Uh, Gentlemen, are, are are you still recovering? I, I think I still have a, uh, a sack of ice uh, on my sack after that D.C.-FCC game. Uh, Chief, quick take, hot take, what do you got for me?
2: I guess the quick take, hot take is that it's not as bad as it seems. Like We watched this team in Austin, and they got absolutely dick-punched in Austin, and then they came back home, and that was the game – this DC United game was the game that I expected this team to play in week one. They had trouble scoring. They had trouble creating chances, but they looked mostly competent on defense. And this was what I thought this team would look like all along. The results sucked, but it's clearly progress from last year. It looks like it has an idea of what it wants to do. And, you know, I walked out of the game angry, but. After about fifteen minutes to calm down, it was it was it was not bad. I did not think it was bad, and this is if this is the new normal, I I can tolerate this a lot more than I can what I saw last year.
0: Uh, it definitely was more enjoyable uh, than a lot of the games last year. Grayson, what what's the quick take, hot take on this DC FCC match?
1: Well, I've always been process oriented, not results oriented. And from a process-oriented standpoint, this team is two and zero. It's because if you look at the XG, which measures process, and process is repeatable, they're two and zero. And I'll take the, I'll take that every day of the week.
0: If I'm not mistaken, 538's uh, club. Uh, world rankings of uh, soccer clubs around the world actually does factor in XG for exactly this reason. It's it's a better measure than the actual results, and that's what I'm going to tell myself over and over and over again. Uh, Chief, whose fault is this? You, you laying this one at the, uh, the feet of the, the refs? Y- yes and no. I
2: mean, the refs in this case, the only thing I can liken it to is – was that a handball at the end of the game? Sure. But it's also like calling pass interference on a fucking' Hail Mary play at the end of a football game. There has to be a different standard for when the official know for a situation where the official knows that if I blow the whistle and I award a penalty kick, I am deciding the game with this whistle. And for the entirety of that ninety minutes, ninety eight minutes of soccer, it was a very, very even, situation where splitting the points seemed appropriate and yeah i do blame the official for in that moment deciding this is where i'm going to make my mark and decide the game but in terms of the people that were actually on the field whose fault is this again the fault is if you have to lay it at the feet of somebody it's the it's the attack of fc cincinnati they just they don't generate goals and zero zero nil nil felt good because it's progress over five nil but At the end of the game, you have to score to win. I mean, that's some John Madden logic right there, but you have to score goals to win, and this is a second straight game where the attack looked utterly ineffective. Um, It is so hard for this team to score goals. Uh, I commented, I think, on a group chat we're on, that you rarely see this FC Cincinnati team generate odd man breaks. You rarely see this FC Cincinnati team get into positions where... They're on the counter and they're moving through the gears and getting the ball up field quickly. All the scoring chances for this team generates seem to come from labor moving the ball around or a long ball in an individual moment of brilliance. And that that's got to change. They've invested way too much money in the attack. The three highest played players on this team are all theoretically attacking pieces, and there is no attack to speak of. So whose fault is it? If you're one of those people that doesn't like to blame referees, which I I'm not one of those people. Fuck the officials. Um, the fault is in the attack of FC Cincinnati. It
0: it just needs to get better. Grayson, who are you blaming for this one?
1: Well, first I like to say absolutely fuck the officials, and I think I think VAR is is kind of a psyop because soccer, I think, more so than other sports, is one of the most inconsistently officiated games on a regular basis all the time. So the idea that you can look at a look at footage of something and decide, oh, that's, you know, clear and obviously a foul or clear and obviously a handball when, you know, sometimes a guy, you know, gets yanked down by a shirt. That's a foul. Sometimes, you know, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, set piece. And you're allowed to do that on set pieces for whatever reason, you know, we're just vibing. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I I just think it, I just think it's silly and it's, it's a, and I think we should stop pretending that, that things are other than they are. Um, and just accept that they're going to do a bad job and it's going to affect games and just scrap this whole VAR pretense. Because it's bullshit
2: too. It's bullshit that like, we look at these, these VAR replays, like it's a fucking Zapruder film and... If you slow things down frame by frame, I still, if you if you put that offsides call up that screwed us out of a goal, is that an obvious error by the official not putting the flag up one way or the other? No.
1: Well, he, he not, put, the, not he put the
2: flag up, though.
1: The difference is he put the flag up, right? It's, it's, it's but, with
2: all this shit, it's, it's, it feels so arbitrary, and it's why I, I likened it to the Hail Mary call where – there's pass interference on every fucking play in the NFL. And they tried one year of looking at it with replay and everyone in the league at the same time had the same reaction, which was fuck this never again. And that's my reaction to VAR. Fuck this. It it does not make the game better. It does not make the product more watchable. And I'm sorry that if you are going to the monitor at the 98th minute of a soccer game to determine whether or not basically determine who wins the game, on the basis of a review, that's not fucking sports. That that's that's awful. That's everything that's wrong with sports. And it, it's it's time that we all move past this. I agree completely. No, I... And I
1: also think that the clear and obvious error needs to be taken more seriously. If that's the standard, then you should be able to look at it one time at full game speed, right? If you can spot the error at full game speed after one look, which is what the ref got, then it's clear and obvious error. So that'll catch like the guy who's ten feet offside. And, you know, the ref was just picking his ass or, or something.
0: Ooh, right. What if VAR could only look at GoPro footage from the head of the referee? So you don't get the sky cam. You have to get what the line judge saw, the assistant referee saw, on the sideline for the offside call. And that's it. I love Body that. cams on
1: cops, body cams on refs.
2: Well, it's, it's this idea that like it's it's talked about a lot in the NFL, and that's that what is the purpose of replay? The purpose of replay is you have 15 people sitting at a bar, pick one, ML Dudes, RP McMurphy's, uh, the Holy Grail downtown. You have 15 people sitting at the bar. They watch the replay. What do they come to a consensus on? If all 15 people sitting there can say, that guy was off sides, that's the purpose of replay. And... When we break this down and we're going frame by frame to see was his hand in a natural or an unnatural position, or was this limb a blade of grass past where the blade of grass was for the last defender? <laughs> Fuck all this. This is this is not sports. This has turned this in, in into it's turned it into a, a an analysis, a forensic analysis of video. And no. No, it's 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 dumb. And I'm not just saying that because it has fucked us yet again. It's nerd shit. Nerd <laughs> it's shit. It's a sport, not nerd <laughs> shit. Which, I guess for a league where there is more, you know, I've said it before, the, the rule set is coked out Dungeons and Dragons bullshit. Of course, we're going to be looking at video frame by frame to determine who wins and loses games. That Of course, we're going to fucking do that.
1: And but whose just- fault it is? Wh- whose fault is it? I, I have to blame myself. <laughs> um, I-, I went too hard at DC. In week one, I said we had a better team than them. In week two, I picked this to win. I got to assume that Ernan Lasada listens to the postcast and I gave them bulletin board material. And, you know, it gave them the extra motivation they needed to dig deep and pull out a result against this. And I guess I just, my bad for being, you know, maybe a little too uh, cocky.
0: You know, after talking so much shit about VAR, here you are. Doing a VAR on your own takes and uh yeah, it's clear and obvious. I'm just gonna call it right there. So um uh, Chief, no national anthem, no loud, blaring electronica music from DJ Primetime. Uh, were you missing it? Did you hate having to uh actually hear the voices of the people standing next to you in the Bailey? Do you mean that I
2: enjoy being able to have a coherent conversation with the people that I had gone to the match with? That I was able to actually talk with people? Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> I I I don't understand this. I'm I've I've brought this up online numerous times. I don't understand why when you go to a sporting event, they feel the need to to play music like you're going to the club beforehand. I I, I know this is an old man ultra's take, but it's soccer. I, I don't need 1,000 f- BPM techno music blaring from the loudspeakers beforehand. I don't need all that. You know what I need? I need the beer line to move quickly. I need the game to start on time, and I need the crowd to sing. That's what a soccer game is. That's what I need to hear, and it was nice. It really was, and, and I know that Grayson will have a hot take on the national anthem because that's just how he rolls, but... um. <laughs> No, it was good. I I think that if there's a lesson out of this, it's that less is more when it comes to in-stadium production, and that when the entire thing, it's 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 your favorite band as they get older, they turn most turn into like a wall of sound where they just get louder to compensate for the fact that their playing deteriorates. And in this case, FC Cincinnati games have become a wall of sound, and I could do without that, and I got to do without that, and it was fantastic. So. Let's do more of that. Let's blow more Transformers.
1: <laughs> uh, um, if you guys have ever seen A Clockwork Orange, um, there's that scene where – so they've, they've captured the guy, the young hooligan who's who's going around beating people up and then trying to deprogram him from being violent. And he loves Beethoven. So what they do is they play Beethoven while they just like inundate him with these horrifying images so that he can't listen to Beethoven anymore. Right. Because he just associates it with torture, and that's how I feel about that techno song they play when the players are going out <laughs> at, at, at every game, like before the game and halftime. Yes, that's I just that's losing. That is a losing song, <laughs> and the second we win our third game in TQL, they should retire it, if not sooner. I I... I mean, I'm I'm actually here for the
2: take that we should be playing more Beethoven music before games, like really lean heavily into the hoity toity upper class soccer fan thing. And we have some symphony music. I mean, we're right across the street from music hall. They were all worried about the noise from the stadium. What if we play the symphony back to them? But we can commission the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, write a few movements for FC Cincinnati, maybe something a little dour to reflect the mood of the team right now. It's player chance. We are just we are embracing the community. We are opera music, symphony music. This is the ballet is right next door. We can have some interpretive dancing being done in the concourses. Let's change it up. The techno isn't working, so maybe we should go completely the opposite direction on this.
0: Uh. Grayson, uh, the teams looked improved. I think overall, um, how are you feeling going into Orlando?
1: Not, not great to be honest. And I, I do think the team looked good against DC result, notwithstanding, but a lot of folks picked Orlando to, you know, contend for MLS cup this year. And even setting that aside, um, Alexander Pato is exactly the type of guy. I know he hasn't scored. I know he hasn't scored this year, but he's exactly the type of striker that was going to go put up a hat trick on FC Cincinnati.
0: <laughs> Chief, how are you feeling going into uh, week three?
2: Let's put it this way: if I was making the trip down to Orlando to watch this game, I, I think I might actually choose to go stay in the Disney Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel instead of actually watching the FC Cincinnati match. The, the problem with that is I don't have $6,000, and I, I think it would be horrendously awkward to LARP uh, Star Wars in a hotel full of other Star Wars nerds. But I the team right now is, I, I, I want to believe it's getting better. I, I I can I think we can all agree that this DC match was better, but they're still just, they are missing the firepower. It's not there. And it hasn't been there in the entire history of this team. And until this team demonstrates the ability to go out and lay two or three goals down on someone, anyone, I, I don't see where the results start to change. And... That's not to say that this is this is a doomed project. I think that this team can continue to get better over the course of the year. I, I think it will get better. I've, I've Maybe that's blind hope and blind optimism talking, but until they go out there and they actually do that, until they go out there and they actually put the ball in the back of the net a couple of times, I, I, I don't see how you can predict a different outcome than what we've been seeing with this team.
0: To that point, do you think this team would have won if Mata and Brenner... Got to put in ninety-minute shifts each.
2: No, I, I'll go the I'll go one the opposite. I think that the only thing that stopped this team from losing badly in this DC United game was the fact that in the early on in the game that they had a desperation clearance off the line that stopped everything from snowballing in the first place. I I, I don't think the parts they have on the offense are changing anything. I think the big difference in this team is that they've got they're a momentum team, and the momentum in this game was prevented from going sideways the way it was in Austin but Brenner I don't think Brenner nothing about what I've seen from Brenner this year or last year leads me to believe he's a difference maker on this team um I think that Vasquez Vasquez I he's like the Darius Hayward Bay of soccer players in that <laughs> he he's he gets himself into good positions he gets separation but the important thing that you have to do catching a football in the NFL, or scoring goals in soccer he, he doesn't do but he does the things that Brenner doesn't he gets the ball in positions Brenner doesn't he puts himself in positions to score that Brenner doesn't he just doesn't score um and you don't see that from Brenner so it's hard for me to say that Brenner would make a difference in this space.
0: Grayson I'm, I'm curious if you share my assessment of Brenner versus Chiefs here where so I, I do think Brenner's strengths is cleaning up messes that players like Baji, at least this game demonstrated an ability to to generate. Hamid wasn't holding on to anything. I was getting Vermeer at Columbus flashbacks the amount that guy was spilling um, and that's where you'd expect a Brenner to be. Are you confident are you more confident in this team with Brenner starting going forward or do you like the the work rate of Baji and Vasquez?
1: Um, I, I, I don't share Chiefs' assessment of Brenner. I think Brenner's a good player. I think he showed last year he could do a lot of things well, even when the team around him is otherwise pretty miserable. I mean, he does hold FC Cincinnati's single season MLS goal record, which isn't saying much, but it shows that of, of all the people who have played a full season at Stryker for FC Cincinnati, Brenner is the best one. Um... But I had kind of a really specific feeling coming out of that DC game that Vasquez, the way he holds up the ball and the way he can bring balls down in the air, might end up being the, um, minutes leader among all FC Cincinnati strikers. Uh, and that takes into account the fact that Baji and Brenner are both dealing with fitness and health issues. (laughs) Um, but i i do also think that brenner and bajji will both outscore vasquez
2: interesting but the problem though with brenner is that yeah he cleans up messes but he can't like the whole way this team is going to score goals is they have to create messes and the person that creates the mess is, is vasquez he creates the mess he's the guy where i've lost count this year already where he's the guy that's getting into dangerous positions with the ball it's just it's it's comical trying to watch him finish. He just doesn't do it well. But he, he does everything up until that point better than Brenner, better than I haven't seen enough of Baji to say he does it better than Baji, but he puts himself into dangerous positions better than Brenner. Um if you could combine Brenner and and Vasquez in some bizarro USS Enterprise <laughs> transporter accident and fuse them together. There was an awful episode of Voyager where this happened. But um <laughs> If you could fuse them together, I think you would have a golden boot winner in MLS because Vasquez is really good at the movement and positioning aspect. Brenner is a better finisher in front of the net, um, but they both lack the skill set the other has that makes them a complete player from my observation.
0: And you know what that player's name would be? Danny Koenig. (laughs) <laughs> do we
2: have jonas sound drop for that because i can't hear i can't hear that name without his sound drop in particular
0: uh yeah him and uh uh ledesma had the two voices that never matched their their persona in my mind um mclaughlin as well for different reasons um so yeah I, we'll, we'll leave it there that that'll do it for uh, for part one part two guys this was a blast we had old Pat Brennan on the postcast. Uh, he he graced this this teeny tiny pirate ship operation here uh, with his presence, with his knowledge, with his background here. And um, the man's got some stories. Uh, got some takes from his time uh, covering FCC, how he got into the business, his his view on on how the national media views FCC. So um, enjoy this interview. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the other side. So joining us here on part two of the postcast, we have the one and only Pat Brennan. He's the FC Cincinnati beat reporter for the Inquirer since 2016. Nobody has been around this team uh, more than him. Uh, Pat, I, I've got to ask a question that I feel like everybody gets to to start off a good FC Cincinnati interview. Uh, have you had Skyline Chili yet?
3: <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Uh, twice today, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it again on my way out to training tomorrow. So <laughs> it's important
2: to have a routine in life. That's the important yeah. thing: is to make yeah. sure you always know where the skyline is. You want to stop.
0: Yeah,
1: I did twice yeah. because you it both going in and out.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh.
2: So for oh. real though, what's the more played question: skyline in Cincinnati or Geno's uh, or Pat's in Philly? What's the the bigger played reporter question?
3: Oh man, you know right that's really chief that's really good research from you um i feel like that's a same caliber of kind of intro level like no talent needed to put this into the conversation you know what i mean in terms of uh a question for anyone in any scenario the cincinnati um,
2: icebreaker if you will yeah yeah
3: that's a really good way to say it the cheese, the cheese steak question with those two establishments in particular was ubiquitous in Philadelphia. And, um, you, you would just, as a fan growing up there, you just always listened for it. When Jim Tomey signed with the Phillies, you know, (laughs) when and where are you getting your first cheese, all that. So, yeah, it's weird now that I, yeah I never practiced media professionally in Philadelphia so it's, it's interesting to observe a similar style question.
1: So, when you asked Albright what his favorite cheesesteak was, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I,
3: Chris and I, I'll tell you, I didn't bring up cheesesteak, but I'll tell you something. He and I honestly have um, some, I mean, for two people that don't know, that didn't know each other at that time, we have some fairly close um, borderline family ties and he was uh distinctly not impressed when i brought that to the table (laughs) pretty much dismissed it outright like man we we had confirmation that we were on the same page had some mutual friends you know again kind of cousins of mine friends of his people he played with in college and uh Yeah, not impressed.
2: But is there anything more Philly at the end of the day than the response of, oh, that's nice, go fuck yourself? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I guess I should have
3: expected that. But one thing I have adopted living in Ohio for about 10 years now is, you know, just being Midwest nice. And um, I thought thought Chris would be as excited about it as I was. He he wasn't (laughs) at all. <laughs> like at <I don't> all <laughs> that's hilarious
2: <laughs> See, yeah, that it actually about...
3: what i thought would be a nice icebreaker uh
2: turned into a little bit of an awkward moment <laughs> I think it was awful you so bring weird. that up about being midwest nice so coming from someplace like philly um and i spent some time living on the east coast as well when you come to a place like cincinnati the media is just different here in cincinnati than it is when you're on the east coast in a place like philly or new york or boston or even washington dc um was that a culture shock for you a little bit coming out to the midwest and realizing just the profession you've chosen is just viewed differently and behaves a little differently out here yeah yeah you know what you're at that's uh,
3: all really good points chief um you know, in Philadelphia, I, I grew up listening to local sports talk radio and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But, you know, looking back, what I loved about it was kind of the ruthlessness and the barbarian kind of takes that you would get on a, you know, <laughs> hourly basis almost with some of these. It was like you these these guys would be like shock jocks in Cincinnati. so. Um, and the there's just so many more voices in the marketplace. So you could have someone who's covered a team or a, you know, maybe their thing is college basketball, not unlike Cincinnati, huge in Philly. You could have someone who like specializes in the the main college basketball teams in the city. And that could be their life's work. And you could have. You could follow it closely. You have no idea who a reporter is because there are just that many voices in the arena. And, you know, people get shouted down very easily and swept away, swept up in the current of all those voices. And um, I I came to Cincinnati and I I felt like, you know, there was uh, space for little Pat Brennan's voice to be heard and to carve out a, a spot. And that was definitely the case with FC Cincinnati, obviously, it, for so many ways, uh, for so many people, uh, not just on the media side. But, um, yeah, it's, it, man, I hadn't given that too much thought before the prompt there, Chief, but <laughs> it, it is, it's, a, it's, it's just a, it's a different animal. It was, uh, and you know what, I saw the contrast um, really distinctly during the Super Bowl of uh you know Cincinnati reporters inquirer and otherwise being out there on the west coast i am a firm i am absolutely a firm believer in the concept of uh the coastal bias and i say mm. that somewhat proudly as a reformed east coast snob so i it's i observe the phenomenon to be completely real and um maybe that's maybe that's the most important my most important takeaway about the difference between the two coasts versus Midwest media styles.
0: You talk about like finding your voice and especially with FC Cincinnati. I'm curious how that starts when you're first told, or maybe you asked for it, but, but you're assigned the FCC beat, uh minor league team just starting up. What was that transition? Like, how did that come about? Uh, You don't see a lot of minor league teams get their own beat writer these days. Yeah,
3: that's right. Well, look, so I'd always wanted to get into sports writing. I told myself that if I could get in at a bigger city newspaper like the Cincinnati Inquirer, I would do that regardless of what the job was in sports, and then just try to see if I could weasel my way over to the sports side, basically. So I came to Cincinnati initially. To do breaking news, which was what? Cops, shootings, drugs, stuff like that, nasty stuff. stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes. Um, So I'm doing that, you know, real graveyard shift. It would be 4 p.m. to midnight or 4 a.m. to noon were the shifts I did. And I did that for about two years. Along the way, I got an opportunity kind of organically to string for some local newspaper in Bowling Green, Kentucky. There was a college team from there uh, that was playing Xavier in an early, early season non-conference basketball game. I went and did that game and then I got in so much trouble for doing that and not telling my superiors at the Inquirer. I got in so much trouble and that was so maddening to me that (laughs) like pursuing my interests in a way that interfered with the inquirer in no way whatsoever was so offensive to them. Uh, And, you know, stopped on my, for me, just stopped just short of a reprimand, like a formal reprimand, I think. So I decided, you know, if, and when the opportunity came um, I would, raise my hand and say, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do this and this is what it'll be. And if they don't like that, maybe we can part ways or whatever. And FC Cincinnati came along and immediately from the day that they were introduced in the news conference, I wanted to be about, I wanted to be a part of that story. Um, I think it was a triple byline that day, Sherry Coolidge. And, uh, someone else whose name is escaping me right now, but um, we did that. And then when the season came along, I was doing preseason stuff. And there's actually a story framed on the wall behind me here because it was so obvious what was going to happen with FC Cincinnati, right? Because you've got the billionaire owner. It really wasn't about the third tier USL. So I went and I, I interviewed Alexi Lalas, which at the time was a huge get for me. And a few other people. And I just talked about how like, OK, this is clearly what these guys are doing. They're going to MLS. And if that's going to actually happen, they're going to need to build a stadium. So I like injected this stadium story into the conversation. I, I just like dropped this off on the website one night. I don't think I published it myself, which is kind of a no-no. But we've been off and on about that rule self-publishing but at the time i think it was a no-no and someone just posted it for me early one morning and it like took over the website and kind of had this reverse life cycle where it started out on at the time a reverse life cycle it took over the website and then like a day and a half later the editors decided it was going to run on a1 and they just you know it was i think that kind of um I don't know. I don't, I don't think that changed the public discourse significantly, but I know that it put me on the radar uh, in terms of identifying myself as someone that wanted to be involved in covering FC Cincinnati. So I basically just did that parallel in addition to the breaking news stuff. Um, and then there over the years, there was some moving and shaking. And finally, I think um, toward the end of that first season, I got pulled over to sports on a full-time basis and I'd already had the full season of soccer under my belt. So that's kind of how it got rolling. And, um, yeah, once, and just, I know I've been rambling here, but once FC Cincinnati got to MLS, that kind of demanded its own beat. Um, so I transitioned off of Xavier men's basketball onto FC Cincinnati. So it was a, uh, uh, definitely, like a labor of love for a while there, for uh,
0: several years. But uh, man, is it paid off in spades! <laughs> for sure. Who's meaner online, Xavier fans, FCC fans?
3: Oh, FC Cincinnati fans <laughs> by far. I mean, they're just they're just so
2: despondent. You can't you can't you can't, blame, you can't blame them for it. You know. Tell me, tell me if this is true or not. I have uh, someone in the media who gave me this quote. There's no point in covering Xavier basketball because 10,000 people care about it and they're all at the game watching. It the <laughs> wow. <Oof>. Yikes. Um. <laughs> My wife will not be happy to hear that quote. <laughs> Man, that's
3: harsh, dude.
2: Yikes. No, I, I, th- I actually,
3: it is a smaller community. I mean.
2: Yeah, everybody knows each other at a Xavier game. It's great. It's like the biggest <laughs> family reunion in Cincinnati. It's like a cheers was an arena you would walk in there and it's oh hey how you doing yeah you missed the game last week yeah i know kid's sick you know
3: yeah there's like a there's like a mechanism of accountability where like if you if you didn't show up for the big game it's like what the hell
0: where were you
3: <laughs> we needed you neighbor um no I, but i mean you can understand why fc cincinnati just the the discourse around i think i think savior's fan base there also wasn't like a super robust online conversation there that Mm -hmm. I saw in my two years covering the beat. I think, again, just, it's a smaller community. Um, Maybe some of the alumni, I I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons that could be, Um, but the, the, the misery index a lot higher on the FC Cincinnati side, I think.
1: Uh, You you mentioned that, There, that there was the thought that from the very beginning they were going to go for MLS and you kind of had the mindset that they were going to go be an MLS team. Um, can you talk about those, some of the differences maybe in how you cover the team has evolved since the USL days and into MLS?
3: Yeah, sure. Like the first thing that sticks out is just how formal and, um, kind of regulated for lack of a better word, the whole setup is now, I mean, back in 2016, you know, it was just, it was really just the wild West in terms of sports coverage. You would show up to Nippert kind of whenever the hell you felt for it. Uh, <laughs> maybe you, you could watch all of training. I think John Harks tried to discourage that at first, but then, kind of relented once he realized like he wasn't just battling you know a couple people like myself and Charlie Hatch who wanted to see training but he's actually operating in the middle of a like a, a public courtyard basically and you can't <laughs> bar people from it so he g- he caved in there and it, it really stayed that way um for the next two and a half years. And then as they started to transition to MLS, things got more formal. Um, so like that, that setup up um, is a definite, a definite uh, evolution over the years, Grayson. And I think um, the players were less media savvy, but simultaneously More like also more appreciative of being covered. I think most of them, especially the guys who'd been up in MLS, like the Antoine Hopano's, and I don't know, some of the career USL guys for sure, they just had no expectation of coverage. Um, and probably had modest expectations when they were in MLS too, to be fair. So, like. Just didn't like not a lot of like finely tuned people in terms of like, you know, their delivery and the cadence of their delivery. You could tell they were like new in interview settings, serious interview settings, you know, where I think John Harks has talked a lot about or talked at the time a lot about how, you know, he had to be a psychiatrist half the time because Those were the biggest games that those players, some of them ever played in that first year in USL. So by the same token, you know, they're being held to account in a room full of media people (laughs) like they'd never been held accountable before, you know, Uh, probably maybe since their college days, maybe never. So um, and like I said, you know, media wasn't a chore for these guys like it is for, the millionaires we deal with now—they appreciated it. They wanted the clips. They would ask me to get newspapers for them, which I was always happy to do. And Oh, that's um, great! Yeah, stuff like that. So there was an innocence about that time that uh, I'm—I think I'm pretty outspoken about. Uh, I love to be nostalgic for the USL days, and that was
2: what I just described. That was all part of it. So, because like with a team. Um, In the situation that FC Cincinnati was in early on, part of most minor league sports setups, it's all about using the media to attract attention. Yeah, And most minor league teams, the Cyclones or any of these other USL teams, they'd be happy if anyone paid attention to them for any reason. And the majority of player interactions with the media is make good events feel good events just trying to do something to drum up support but here in FC Cincinnati charity stuff yeah. yeah here in FC Cincinnati it was a team where part of the appeal of the team was from day one it was treated and covered like it was a big deal and so was there a balance in your head or was there anything in your mind about when you're covering this team it's the difference between covering it like it's a real sport like it's another professional sport in town, and also this idea of, well, it's a minor league, it could be a fad, I don't know what's going on here with this. Was that ever in your mind about how your coverage of this team worked? It's a really good question.
3: Um just weighing that real quickly. I would say, first of all, yeah, yeah, you do like, kind of a, a value assessment of the beat itself and like how seriously are we going to take this and what kind of resources are we going to throw into it um, you know, based on how seriously they take themselves is ultimately what I what I thought. And because, you know, it kind of going back to what I said a few minutes ago, you know, because there was a billionaire involved in the project Because, you know, Jeff Birding was involved in the project. Like, you know, these weren't people that were betting small on FC Cincinnati. So, you know, that first season, we didn't go to the opening, the very first match at Charleston. But I flew home on my own dime to Philly and then drove about 90 minutes to Bethlehem. To cover their second ever match against Bethlehem Steel FC, which ended up being their first ever win. And that just like that just didn't seem strange to me or like disproportionate to what I was actually going to central Pennsylvania to do. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think there was there was always this carrot with cincinnati fc cincinnati dangling out there that like this is gonna be even like in the early days when Jeff was not very effectively coy about the aspirations were you know there the pro, there was always a promise of more and bigger and mls i thought from the outset um and that's what i was trying to get at with that initial story it's like let's cut through this usl stuff this is what's actually going on here this is they're trying to get another major league team in Cincinnati. So I, that was the approach I took to it. And, um, I covered, uh, for a third division soccer team. Um, I scrutinized and analyzed pretty harshly. (laughs) John, John, John wasn't, uh, hesitant. I mean, he was, he was up for it. He loved it. I think, you know, they wanted to be taken seriously. So, um, While the players were appreciative of coverage, I think people like Jeff and Carl and Parks, you know, they were ready to go. And if they felt like you were being unfair, they would push right back. Uh, It was awesome. It was just like a, it it was a major league. They're like, so like we know this now, but like so much of FC Cincinnati was major league from the outset. And we know now that, you know, that all the areas it had to grow and it still has to grow all that crap. But, um, one of those areas, like you guys have pointed out was media coverage and how they were receptive to it and wanted it. And, um, yeah, how ultimately there was just this recognition that it was mutually beneficial to all of us, including myself, because I clearly had, um, self-interest in like, if I take this seriously and show for myself, you know, I can crack on and do what I want to do professionally. So that was part of it too.
0: I won't bore you with that piece, but um, yeah, that's kind of. Was Hark's your favorite manager uh, for FC Cincinnati? I'll leave Noonan out of it for right now. Just he's new. And I don't, I don't want you. I do want to, I
3: hope we can talk about Noonan. Go for let's, it. Let's let's go. No, no, not let's go. no, not yet. Let me yeah. ask <laughs> the question. Let me ask the question. Um, my favorite FC Cincinnati manager. Wow. Um, I mean, Ron, Ron was like just like a big plush toy, <laughs> but we just didn't get to know him. <laughs> he wasn't here long enough, gone, uh, gone too soon. <laughs> ja, ja, you know, I have like a um, I did like Hark's, I liked Hark's a lot. I was surprised with the way that he handled uh, his departure with local media. Um, I thought. There's a little bit of a scorned lover aspect to that, I think, for me anyway. Um, Wasn't that you know, he expected st-
2: you guys to go to bat for him a little bit more, and that somebody in the media to speak up and say his departure was was bullshit? Was that what it was, or did he not appreciate that? Hey, you guys have a job to do. We got to move on and cover this next guy. Like, what was your take on him for that? My take on his departure. Your take on his departure? You said it was a scorned lover thing. I'm kind of curious. Like, oh was- well, I mean, like, for, for like, like I'm the scorned lover. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I thought he was like, you know, because I'm never going to send this guy a Taylor ham again. We're done
3: no, because <laughs> no, he just dropped off the face of the earth, and I saw him at two, in 2018 at uh, at the MLS Super Draft. Uh, I was on the. I was. It might have been in Philly for a Villanova Xavier game, and the super draft happened to be going on in Philadelphia. So I got a credential and I covered it and I saw Hark's there and I waited for him to get done with the radio segment. And I went up to shake his hand and he just looked me in the eye and acted like we'd never met before. Oh, um, oh he no sold
2: it. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. So I think, you know, like in 2018, I guess it was still kind of fresh. Right. Cause he got fired or, you know, fired, whatever the hell happened fired Um, (laughs) late in 2016. So it was just barely basically like 15 months later, but um, he still really hasn't spoken. He never really spoke at length about the experience good, bad or otherwise with FC Cincinnati, which I found weird over the years. And now it's, it's just been so long and he's had, you know, great success Um, with the triumph. It's almost like there's no point in talking about it now. So John was all again scorned lover thing there. I never quite got the sign off how that played out over months and years after he left. But uh, I did. I did have an affection for John. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was great.
1: How do so How do you approach that? I mean, there's been a lot of opportunities, I guess, for you to hone your your tactics. But how do you approach the turnover when there's a new manager, uh, maybe new GM or technical staff coming in? Um, how do you go about you know, building new relationships, uh, you know, making sure you get, to, you get the access that you need to do your job? I'm an expert at it because there's been so <laughs> much
3: turnover. Hey, seriously, there's a, there's, a, there's a significant job. I've calculated that there's a significant job in the FC Cincinnati organization that affects how I do my job on a regular basis that turns over uh, at least twice per year. Whether that's the head coach, the GM, someone in the communications department, um,
2: and, so don't get attached, is what you're saying. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, look, it's you know some some people leave because they have better opportunities, whatever. But yeah, so like there's a lot of turnover, and um, yeah, it's 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 tough. You know, I I was thinking today if like I like. You know, Gerard Nykamp, for instance, when he got hired uh, by FC Cincinnati, I didn't, re- you know, he, so that happened in like late May 2019, right? Early June, we'll say late yeah. May.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, he and I didn't really get on the same page until the next winter. And part of that I attribute to kind of, Well, like the access that Alan Koch insisted on having, which was basically full access to training, that got cut off immediately, which, okay, fair enough. Different coach, Johan and then Ron, they're going to – they get to call that shot, so whatever. Um, But Gerard coming from Europe, I don't know if he recognized, you know, the – I don't know. I I mean, I I know that he knows how to play the game – but it seemed like he didn't want
0: to, or.
2: It always looked like night camp had no use for anyone outside the four walls of his own. Office. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I've said it. I've said it in the past. I've written it in the past that I think he did himself a disservice by not being more communicative with the fans through the media. Absolutely. Because the rare opportunities he spoke whenever he spoke, it was like, well, we have to view this as almost the only access we're going to get. So he makes one comment about windows and that's the only time we've heard from the guy for three, four months. And then right. all of a sudden that's driving the narrative. And yeah, I, I think there's a reality out there where night gets more buy-in from the fan base. If he's just a little better about understanding when to talk to people, how yes. open to be about his plans. And I think that, you know, maybe it, it's a cultural difference between the way the game is covered in Europe. And maybe it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where, they're a lot more like Philadelphia in Europe than they are like Cincinnati in terms of their patience, their brutality. And I don't think he ever fully realized that the media could be an asset to him in this, this city. And it ended up being to his detriment in the long haul, I think.
1: Yeah. I think people really wanted, you know, to believe in Gerard. I think people wanted to see, okay, well, we got the, we got a process going on here. He's talking to us. We're seeing the growth live, but the windows comment was what he said. And then it's the only thing hanging out there and it became a punchline and it's, it's still a punchline around FC Cincinnati. It's, he's not the only person who, you know, like the Everest comment from Burden, you know, that's going to keep coming back for
3: years. Yeah. I, I you guys just, you got, I I'm not going to try to, it would be redundant for me to try to better what you both just said, what you both just assessed about, Gerard, I was perplexed by the tactics that he deployed in the local media and nationally, even to the extent that I could, you know, you don't have an inside track on exactly what he's doing with other reporters, right? It's there's a little bit of guesswork there, but it's not hard to read the tea leaves in certain situations. And I didn't understand the tactics, and I felt like his recognition of how local media could be of benefit to him just came so late. Uh, So, and, and, you know, I I don't think performance in the media salvages, you know, what he oversaw, unfortunately, you know, (laughs) but, um, you know, you you wonder if, if, uh, to what degree did performance in the local and national media Way, way in, in the whole uh, decision to part ways with them last summer.
2: So with the move to MLS, um, I'm saying this diplomatically, the U.S. and the MLS soccer national media is slightly incestuous. There's a large number of people that have been covering the league for a long time, uh, a lot of former players that are involved in league coverage. And yeah, with the move to MLS, have you noticed or have you been – able to see that the coverage of FC Cincinnati and the coverage of the the league as a whole, that it really centers around a small group of people nationally and that the national media and MLS drives the narrative about the sport way more than it does in other sports like the NFL, the MLB. And it's a smaller group of people that do that. And I'm talking about your Taylor Twelmans, your Matt Doyles, your people like that, that seem to know everybody in the sport, Get all the scoops because they've been friends with everyone forever, and that the media coverage in MLS seems way more top down than it does bottom up in other sports.
3: It's a great observation, um, Taylor.
2: I've, I I I I don't and believe really me.
3: Don't... I'm not making.
2: I'm not asking you to, to, to shit on anyone with this. <laughs> it's just I am. Yeah. <laughs> the the idea no. was though is that I sort of had this this take that Noonan and Albright would end up drawing better coverage of FC Cincinnati because they're buddies with everyone that's in the national media. Whereas I was this foreign actor who no one had any connections to, Yeah, who as best I can tell, didn't attempt to forge relationships with people like Twelman, with Doyle, with Extra Time Radio, with all these various MLS media outlets. And it made it a lot easier for the national media and MLS to shit on him because he was an unknown figure versus Albright, who played with some of these people yeah um who's liked by a lot of these people same with noonan played and is liked by a lot of these people and it's almost going to because of the way the national media is structured in mls he's going to get a bigger leeway than anyone we've had on this team before i think chief i like i
3: like your assessment there (laughs) I feel like that's that's code for I
2: talk too long right there. No, (laughs) no, no, no.
3: I'm trying how to uh, figure out how to say this diplomatically. No, I think there are elements of truth to that uh, beyond a doubt. I I think, um, yeah, right out of the gate, you saw an enhanced national presence in the coverage of FC Cincinnati almost as soon as Albright and Noonan, um, arrived here and I think you know maybe that's part of the cachet of hiring them if you're FC Cincinnati but I think and I won't be the first person to say this I also think that there's an element of national national MLS coverage where it's like it's almost not about the clubs the individual clubs or individual players it's about like evangelizing the league and where we go one we go all so like if lafc wins the supporters shield or you know new england wins the supporters shield we've all won the supporters shield because new england is like an original mls team and these are the organizations that we should be propping up and supporting i feel like
2: you know I mean That's since, quite literally true. It's a single entity league. So we all did win the supporters shield yeah. after from a certain point of view. <laughs> no, but I, I think there's this, there's this
3: idea of a, of a collective good and FC Cincinnati for better or for worse. And we know on field results wise, it was to their detriment. They like struck out and tried to do something different. And because of that, this is speak, kind of in a roundabout way to what you were just saying about Gerard specifically chief. It was like because they weren't following MLS norms, they were immediately cast aside. And really, I thought some of the tactics they were using, you know, in terms of you know building the team and um, there's well, there's not a whole lot you can defend there, right? Like especially 2019 and 2020, but not good. You know, yeah, yeah. But like some of this stuff was just dismissed outright before it really had a fair chance to it's a, okay. Can we wait and see? No, we can't. All right. All right. You guys are right. <laughs> Whatever. It was a, like, you couldn't deviate from the norm. And on one hand, you know, we've seen FC Cincinnati go with the MLS flow and, you know, they're ripe with guys that have been, they grew up in this league, you know, and, I'm sure there the results will revert back to the median a little bit now because of that. And that's good. Right. But I don't think one of the things I honestly, honestly got one of the things I loved about FC Cincinnati was that they tried to do it differently, uh, particularly not so much in 2019, but definitely with Gerard um, in 2020 and 2021. And uh, obviously we know now it didn't work, but, I I def to what you were saying, Chief. I think um, some of his ideas and practices were dismissed outright before they really had a fair chance to kind of get off the ground.
0: No, Pat, I could not agree with you more. Um, I've had that you know, I've had that feeling this whole time. And the most frustrating thing is that FC Cincinnati wasn't just bad, but they were terrible and it, it yeah. proved a <laughs> lot of bad arguments. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, to your point, like they brought in European guys who knew how to build a champions league team and told yeah. them to go build a champions league team and they're signing premier league strikers and, and guys with champions league experience and they're being shed on by national media. I think you look at like what Atlanta did with bringing in Tata Martino and raiding South America, but it was okay because Carlos Bocanegra was nearby and he's he's an approved uh you know child of US soccer so they're, they're okay to bless this or LAFC right. is allowed to go pretend to be a Liga MX team but it's okay because <laughs> Bob Bradley's in charge so it's it's okay they they checked the boxes don't worry yeah. um so yeah maybe maybe Albright should have just been nearby while uh Nycamp did this and just made sure he didn't spend 500 gam or five hundred thousand gam for an international spot here and there and, <laughs> and maybe it could have worked out all right but uh, no i th- thank you so much for bringing up that point because you you perfectly synthesize a, a feeling i've had for about two years there um but no i mean now now that we do have our you know uh rock steady mls uh <laughs> you know roster and technical lineup there um League-approved
2: imp- management. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, now that we got the extra time seal of approval, uh, what's your impression of this team? I mean, we're only two weeks in, but I, I guess we could we could dabble with a little 2022 talk. What, what's your take so far? Um, Austin looks like I, – I don't know
3: for sure if Austin is good or not, which is incredible to say because they've got a plus-nine goal differential and they are, you know – lighting the league on fire through two (laughs) matches, albeit against teams not projected to do amazing things this season. Um, But like, man, did I think it was unacceptable the way they came out against Austin, like just little things that you would hope that you would want and hope to see in the opening game of the season, you know, just like they didn't have the basics tied down and that was, to concede a goal like two minutes in the way the way they did and then for the game to have gotten out of hand in a way that looked so, so familiar around here by halftime was really dispiriting in a lot of ways. Um, kind of threw some cold water on the project early on. It's two games in. Who the hell knows what this team is going to be? But, um, you know, I, I really disappointed to see and I frankly I don't know how that happens you know I don't care how good Austin is you know it just you losing like that on the first match day of the new season is just staggering to me so uh, that's a that's a concern
2: in the macbook do you already have a template for a story fc cincinnati loses another heartbreaking game and you just do find replace for whatever (laughs) team we're playing just to save yourself some time when you're running up against the deadline?
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I ought to. I really ought to at this point.
2: But My my impression of the Austin game, and you can correct me with what your take is on this, was that it definitely felt like a match that snowballed. And I I said it on the uh, first segment, was that with this DC United game, there's a moment early in the game where there's a shot taken point blank. And I forget off the top of my head, Who heads it off the line? And to me, the difference between the D.C. United game and the Austin game was that somebody's there to make that play and the wheels don't fall off from that point forward. Whereas in the Austin game, you have a a set piece. Vasquez is there. He probably clears that 100 times out of 100 in training, 99 times out of 100 in a match. But there, they get scored on in the first three minutes and it's here we go again with more bullshit. Um <laughs> so th- with that d- do you think that there's an aspect of this where noonan is going to have to get cuz it's a lot of these guys are the same people from last year yeah and is there an aspect of this where they're just going to need to see a couple results or see the ball go in the net a little bit just to believe shit's different than it was last year and the year before right yeah you know that and that was the
3: thing that i thought was so so sad frankly about the dc united loss was that there were moments when it looked just i mean obviously it had to be better than a week prior at austin but you know i said this on twitter that i thought like there were not the whole game but there were moments when i thought like this might be the best we've ever seen FC Cincinnati play at TQL stadium. Okay. And if you want to say, if you want to quibble and say, that's a small sample size, I guess it kind of is, you know, you can go back even further than that. Like that, it was, it was flowing. It looked attractive. The game was entertaining. Um, It didn't two, two of the three major video reviewed calls didn't go FC Cincinnati's way, but like the game just had a lot of entertainment value. And I feel like FC Cincinnati would just benefit from that even if the calls are going against them um, in terms of like people wanting to come out and spend their hard-earned money on tickets. But, um, you know, to play as well as they did and then to get nothing, and again, it was one of these matches that there were so many of like last season, not just a result to be had. But all three points just sitting there begging to be taken by anyone, anyone, either team, really, but anyone by accident. It should be happening. (laughs) Like it should be happening more than it is. You should stumble into one of these at some point. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I thought I was after the match. I asked Pat Noonan, like, is there an aspect of this result where you kind of have to. You know, remind these guys like, like, are you concerned that you might lose buy-in, like, from a result like this when things go so well and they end up with nothing? And I kind of had to weigh that real quickly in my head before the words came out of my mouth because I said, "Am I going to look like an idiot asking this after the second game?" But I don't, I don't think I did because, like you said, you do have a lot of the same guys. Um, I do think that losing in the fashion that they did in Austin where things snowball, like Chief said, um, you know, that can become a learned habit. So you've got – I think confidence is going to be a fragile thing for this team early on. And I think the DC match was a step in the right direction. But eventually, yeah, like you cannot go – you know, I always felt like Yop's team last season was living on borrowed time you know, they were nicking draws and like they right when everything was felt like it was about to go to hell, they'd win a match or something. You know, I don't think Pat's team can survive that way if they want to see drastically improved results. And when I say drastic, I'm not talking about, you know, playoff contention. I'm talking maybe like seven, eight wins, which still isn't going to the-
2: Don't kid yourself, that's drastic as hell. No, no I mean yeah. Well, yeah, 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 that would be drastic. You're right.
3: So um yeah, yeah I, I look, ultimately I thought the DC match was a step in the right direction, but I I think I would agree. This was a point Grayson ran by me earlier and I said I wanted to argue argue with him about it on the podcast, but I don't think I will now. Like I agree with you if one major incident goes the wrong way in that DC match. FC Cincinnati has proven with mostly this group of players that they have rostered right now, that they are apt to let the game spiral out of control in a, in a horrible way. So, yeah, I think at some point, like they should, they should be buoyed by what they did on Saturday, but uh, at some point they have to get results and score goals or, you know, we we all know we we've lived it for the last couple of years. We know
0: what the spiral looks like and how it starts. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So much of this season is going to rely on Noonan and Noonan's ability to get the most out of what last year was a bad roster. What's your impression of this guy? What what's it does it look like oh, inside?
3: I'm so glad you phrased it that way. So. Pat is good to work with. I think he sees the beneficial nature of a back and forth, you know, kind of an even, almost an even back and forth with media. So it's been, it's been productive in that sense so far. The, the thing I wanted to say was that if you like in trying to, I don't know how, how, how let me ask you guys a question. How does his, the way he presents himself, how does he come off to you? How do you perceive
2: him as a person? Stoic. <laughs> mm,
3: really? Okay.
0: He, he it doesn't presents- show a lot of emotion. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He presents to me as someone who deeply internalizes when things go bad. And like I, this might not make a lot of sense, but he's the son of the guy where I think he hates losing more than he likes winning. Okay. And that that is a motivating factor for him. He just he just seems like the kind of guy who he is sitting thinking, I am going to do everything in my power not to lose because I hate that feeling so much. And if the end result means winning, then we're <laughs> gonna win. Just because I don't want to be a loser, I can't fathom losing soccer matches. That's yeah. the vibe I get from him.
1: I don't know where you guys are getting any of that, frankly. I mean, I, I feel like I haven't seen enough of them. I, he does seem very confident. Um,
3: okay. well, I would just say, obviously we're still uh, I didn't I, I didn't get to go down to preseason because we're still in kind of a post pandemic mid slash mid pandemic weird spot there. So couldn't go down to preseason. I would say I'm definitely still getting to know him. I feel like he is a straight down the middle, 50-50 splicing. Half of the pie is Jim Curtin where he wants to be engaged and maybe maybe even a little bit fun and then the other half is Bruce Arena where I don't sometimes I don't know I don't I don't get a sense of whether or not he's like super enjoying all the media interactions. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. It's a grind. It's a grind for these guys. I, I totally understand that. But I, that was one thing I wanted to say. It's just like it, which and it would make sense. Right. Because he's been he's served as an understudy to both of those two very distinct personalities. So that's something that I, I see strong uh, tinges of both Jim Curtin and Bruce Arena in Pat which is kind of crazy because that's like, they're like polar opposites, but that's what I see. But it's um,
2: it's his first, this is the first manager FC Cincinnati has had in a while where it's his legitimately his first time being the guy. Yeah. Um, uh, Ny- uh, I'm sorry. Yap had been the guy at multiple stops. Um, Ron Jans had been. Alan Koch had run his own team before. For Noonan, this is legitimately the first time the camera has turned on him and asked for his take. Where he couldn't storm off to the locker room or the dressing room and let somebody else handle that. So it is sort of a we are watching him develop that persona in real time. I guess. Yes,
3: same. very much so, and that's that's tough for you know if you're on my side because and maybe this speaks a little bit to like Midwest nice versus coastal bar barbaric media practices. But like, I'm not <laughs> someone that like need, I don't want to, I don't want to put, if I can avoid pushing someone's buttons, I'm going to avoid doing that because I think it's unprofessional. I'm not going to intentionally ask a question to set someone off, but I don't know what Pat's triggers are after a match. Obviously it's going to be relative to what's just transpired, but I don't know what sets the guy off. So, you know, after a match, like DC you know, after the Austin game, it's like, there's, there's actually there's not too much to talk about, but after a match like DC, I have no idea. And I feel like, I don't know if the people around me in the press conference room felt this way, but it was a little walking on eggshells, not in terms of how Pat felt, but just I, I sensed a delicacy in the room because, um, or needing to have a delicate touch because I just, you know, you don't know what sets these guys off. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking that too much, but it is very true. We're, we're getting to know Pat. On the fly, um, he spoke about that a few weeks ago at TQL Stadium. It was basically what served as the media day before the Austin match. All four local TV stations were there, and he was like, "Yeah, this is just part of it." And in that sense, in saying that, he definitely made it seem like he was checking a box on that day's to-do list. You know, but I know because I've benefited from a one-on-one with him. Uh, I know he he he, <laughs> he he enjoyed that and engages in that scenario so uh but i've i've enjoyed working with pat i think everyone everyone wants to see him do well um i don't think it would be controversial for me to say that when fc cincinnati is more interesting and thereby winning my stories are well read (laughs) you know (laughs) like it's kind of a win 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 when fc if mc cincinnati if pat noonan succeeds so um it's uh yeah i don't know that's, so just, we're, that's we're blowing
2: up the narrative in real time that the media just wants bad things to happen because bad things generate clicks is that what right, right right here? yeah i definitely just took a crap
3: <laughs> that whole model i just crapped on for sure you think you bo- i don't know maybe my boss will listen to this and think like you idiot why the hell would you say that in public i
2: guarantee your boss isn't gonna listen to this <laughs>
1: Who do you think Noonan likes be- meeting more, the media or the night? <laughs> the oh,
2: God.
0: No
3: comment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, Pat, I got to say, man, this was been a blast. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Um, and yeah, like this was great. I uh, really, yeah. really appreciate it. If you're listening to this podcast, you know Pat. You follow him on Twitter. You know he writes for The Enquirer. You can find him at P. Brennan Inc on twitter and uh his work is available uh let's say inquires website and in the actual printed newspaper they still do that it's incredible uh pat thanks again
3: (laughs) hey i'm sorry if i rambled i'll die on the hill of fcc nostalgia and thanks for thinking of me thanks for thinking of me this was a real
2: treat no thank you this was awesome this was a lot of fun
0: that was awesome thanks again to pat brennan for for coming on the postcast again like i said there if if you're listening to this and for whatever reason have not heard of pat or or not sub- subscribed to the Enquirer or not following him on twitter uh please reach out to me i want to know more about your life and how you came across uh this and not that um uh, well, guys, we're, we're going to do what we do last time at uh, the time before. Gosh, three episodes. We've got traditions. We're going to hit a couple of quick topics here. Uh, Grayson, you, you brought this one to our attention. Uh, the Athletic uh, did an anonymous survey of MLS GMs. Uh, what was your takeaway on this? I know you wrote about this a little bit today on the website. Um, some interesting FCC mentions.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I encourage everybody to read the, the piece today on The Post's website. Uh, it, it it touched on a very, very small part of the article, but I read the article and then I listened to um, the Allocation Disorder podcast. And it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way that Paul Tenoria was advancing this line about um, birding continuing to interfere with soccer decisions when – I'm a subscriber to the to the Athletic, and um, I don't remember him writing a single specific thing about uh, what Birding did to interfere, much less something that, that supports the take that Birding is continuing to interfere right now with Chris Albright. So it's just it's, it just it was just one cheap shot among so many cheap shots that we get from the national media.
2: Because, like, at this point, like, the, the national media's impression of Jeff Birding and even some of the local media's impression, local fan base's impression, is, is almost akin to a Senator Palpatine kind of thing, where the spider at the center of the web manipulating all the threads and is this sort of tormentor for everyone in the fan base. And I, I read your article today, Grayson, and, and it, it does almost seem like people need to show their work on this, like you said. And part of the reason for that is that I feel like at this point, if there really was the case, if there really was a Sith Lord at the being in charge of this franchise, wouldn't Nightcamp have come out and said that? He got canned and he hasn't done the tell all interview yet where he had all these great plans that evil Jeff Birding was stopping him from doing. And like, wouldn't Noonan or Albright, they all have we were just talking about this with Pat. They all have direct connections to the national media. Wouldn't they be providing specific examples that we would be hearing about on these podcasts versus these rumors and innuendo that aren't sourced on anything? I to me what a lot of this stuff reads like is that the national media knows just enough about what gets us clicking on stories in the <laughs> 513 and they know that when they mention when they mention he who must not be named everyone's ears perk up for one reason or another just because he's been a lightning rod deservedly so to a certain extent but he's been a lightning rod for criticism for the, for the, for the fan base for so long.
1: And I want to be clear I'm only defending him on this specific thing. J- Jeff Birding has done a terrible job putting together a, a, a franchise that could put a winning soccer product on the field and uh, it's my understanding also that he is a carlist and an integralist and I, I want nothing otherwise to do with it. <laughs> S- he's
2: still the most successful general manager this club has ever had. <laughs> oh, man. And
0: that bar exists until it doesn't. Um, and it tells you something that uh, that Nycamp couldn't clear it. Um, and, yeah, to that point, you'd assume Koch and uh, Sassano, two guys who – I guess have gotten off scot-free in this, would have been more than happy to go out and bash birding. Uh, or John
2: Harks Ach- We just listened to Pat Brennan mention that a second ago. You haven't heard a word from John Harks negative about this club. You didn't hear Koch shit on this club on his way no, out the door no. you didn't hear uh ron Jans hasn't said anything which is probably for the best because when he does open his mouth he does tend to get himself in trouble a little bit uh <laughs> well as long as there's not music playing i guess right um but you haven't heard night camp you haven't heard yop none of these people are, are shy about speaking their mind on things and yeah. at this point the, the criticism of birding is what it is and it's valid but There's enough there that we don't need to have more that's unsourced rumor and innuendo at this point. I mean, the work speaks for itself negatively without all that shit.
0: Yeah, it kills me that the two accusations are uh, filed tampering charges in a trade and discovery rights, which... I'm sure, belong to the technical director or general manager in terms of their their purview, their, their workflow. But they also didn't strike me as responsibilities that wouldn't necessarily belong to the club president. Like, I don't know exactly how San Jose runs shit, but, like, I could see the club president filing tampering charges versus the general... That doesn't strike me as, like, an egregious thing. Now, if Jeff was in there, like, taking pretzel orders or actively vetoing players in a draft that seems bad but like filing tampering charges who by the way he filed them against chris albright or at least chris albright's staff in philly and albright seemed okay working here like i don't know it didn't feel like much see to me the
2: the more interesting part of this article that that i re- that we you're referencing is how hated the mls rules are in mls um To me, I I hate the rules in this league. I I understand why they exist. I forget who stepped in it this week on Twitter. Oh, it was Keith Olbermann, that bag of (laughs) shit, talking about how the NASL was better, uh, drawn 77,000 fans and still folded seven years ago when talking about the Charlotte crowd. But I I get that most MLS rules are written just because the NASL was so – the NASL 1.0, not the – Bullshit thing that was the Hardos we all in on a couple years ago. But also, it um, applies to the, the, the NASL
0: 2.0,
2: <laughs> right? It applies to both these leagues. I guess I, I should be, I shouldn't have to be specific on this. But that the MLS rules exist specifically to stop teams from getting over their skis and spending and going out there and buying a ton of talent, then not being able to make the note and folding. the The rules are designed for stability, but fuck, it's time to take the training wheels off this league. I'm glad the MLS executives, when you put a drink in them and, and allow them to speak anonymously, I'm glad people understand this. But if that's the case, let's fucking stop this shit. Yeah. Let's stop this GAM, this TAM, this allocation rights, this discovery rights, this this bullshit about designated players and low salary caps and all this Dungeons & Dragons bullshit mm-hmm. made-up money types Fucking cryptocurrency nonsense. Let's get rid of it, please. Like, if there is a groundswell of support for this among MLS executives, somebody pick the flag up and start running publicly to do this. Because I don't know anyone that follows this league, works in this league, or covers this league that wanted to stay this way. Maybe like Ken from Cincinnati Soccer Talk, who actually took the time to learn all this shit. Maybe he would be upset now that like the the secrets have been revealed to everyone. Kind of like how the priest would like, be the only like person Ken, that knew how to read.
1: For the, for the record, we like Ken. I like Ken too,
2: but yeah. like you go back in history, the priest was the only one that knew how to read back in the Middle Ages, and they kept it that way because then they could tell you what you needed to do in order to find Christ and <laughs> salvation, and it was kind of a scam. It, That's what MLS feels like right now. It feels like a scam that is an unknowable league entity, and because it is so opaque, they can just make anything up, and no one is in a position to say, well, that's not what the rules say.
0: Who is going to be our Luther who nails their 99 theses to the league office doors? I think it was 95, wasn't it? Oh, it probably was. Guys, my European history is a little rusty.
2: That's truly what people are listening to this podcast for, is a discussion of the Reformation. I had
0: had four extra theses in there. (laughs) The fourth one
2: is the abolishment of GAM, the abolishment of TAM. The end to the allocation list and the abolishment of the super draft. Luther your four extra theses. Yeah, he
0: did. He did foresee Tam as a uh, as heralding the uh, the antichrist. That makes sense. His a
2: hundred his hundredth
0: <laughs> thesis was pro rel for USA, but we don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> you know, but to that point, though, MLS is courting. Some huge investors right now, like Charlotte and FCC and pretty much everybody who bought in from New York and uh, Orlando on, have been massive billionaires. Guys who could own NFL teams and, I should say, ownership groups that could own NFL teams or buy essentially any club team in the world that they wanted, but they bought into MLS. Which
2: some of them are. Like You look at the list of people that are looking to buy Chelsea right now from Roman's little geopolitical snafu. It's a lot of the same people that are on the short list they talk about to buy into MLS.
0: Right. And those people, they want to spend. They don't want to be the owners of a minor league soccer team, which is essentially what they are on a global scale. You're offering the wealthiest people in the world access to a top flight league in the world's richest country. And you're telling them that they have to treat this like it's a triple A game. You know, baseball team, and they're going to have to run the the one dollar hot dog specials in order to get a, a decent striker. I have to imagine a third of MLS owners right now are desperate to put out a product that could compete with the EPL. They're, they want they want to be competing on this platform. I assume it's the holdouts who have you know seen their one million dollar investment in 1996 turn into a two billion dollar team, uh, or not two billion dollar, twenty billion dollar, two hundred billion dollar team. Um, they're, they're the ones who, who don't want to be spending.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that they want to compete with the EPL in the near term, but based on what was in the article, it seems like there is a healthy appetite among the soccer executives to surpass Liga Amekis and actually compete, get there with like France.
2: And they're gonna have they're gonna have to because we're starting up that what the fuck is that thing called that we're doing now where MLS is gonna be competing, the Superliga or the, the Super League, League.
0: It's just the League's Cup. They've tried the nineteen
2: versions of this, but yeah, League's Cup. Right. And like it's gonna be real obvious when that starts up the talent disparity based on pay alone between the clubs down in Mexico and the clubs in America. It's why it's honestly why the CONCACAF Champions League is is such a crock of shit. That nobody cares about in this in this country because our teams can't compete at the same level that the teams down there in Mexico can. Or now, which... I mean there's also you set aside the scheduling thing where we're in the preseason while this is going right. on. But there's a there's a vast talent disparity between the top clubs there and the top clubs here. And it's entirely because you have this draconian rule set that we're all beholden to, where you've only got so many senior spots and you only have so many designated players and the money is all stored at the top of the team. And you can't buy those value players in the middle that, like, help keep the club from being top-heavy. And yeah. it, it, the, it, when you watch these teams play, it's very apparent. It's, it's like what we talked about a couple weeks ago where it's when you run an MLS team, there's no way to get around that at some point a person making $80,000 is going to touch the soccer ball. And they don't have that, that thing holding them back in other leagues, especially they don't have that holding them back in Mexico.
1: Well, yeah, because that's with Mexico. It's not even like the total amount spent on a roster is out of whack. The problem is you have teams like Toronto, FC Cincinnati has $20 million in Brenner and Acosta, right? Whereas uh, Liga Aymekis would have a team that spends $20 million, but they spread it across their whole roster, right? So they have this uniform uh, level of talent and depth that MLS teams don't have because of the roster rules. So I liked, I liked what the GM suggested where he said, just have, you know, a 20 to $20 million bucket you can spend on a roster. And maybe you even keep, you know, a couple of DPs if you want to bring a couple of flashy names in.
2: And, and to, to that point, I don't understand. And, and, Again, I understand originally why it was set up this way. Obviously, MLS needed the guardrails in place when it was very young. And even with the guardrails, the league still almost folded at least twice, if you believe most reporting out there. But there's already a model in place for this. It's the NFL. It's the NBA. Even the NBA still has max contract concepts um, that I'm sure they would love in MLS to a certain extent. But set a cap set an amount of money you can pay, and then let these teams decide how to pay it. We're, we're past the point in this country of needing to have these predefined roster spots and this Generation Adidas shit and all these weird functions that you have to know. And it's part of the thing that held back Gerard Neikamp is that you can't just build a team in this league, that you need to have someone who is intimately familiar with getting value out of the various MLS roster spots. And, and Pat was talking about it in the interview. It creates a product in this league where there's really only one way to win. And that's boring. I, I want a league where th- it isn't a, 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 a problem where you're, you're learning how to beat the video game. I, I want there to be creative solutions to beat the video game, not just one way.
1: So there, there's two other things that I think are worth just quick hits on from the article. Um, one is uh, Gustavo, Gustavo Vallecia was singled out as a player with, you know, one of the best value contracts in all of MLS. And I was just wondering, is there another player on FC Cincinnati who has a good value contract? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, but it was nice to have one player on the list. I mean, you look at that, it, somebody threw us a bone there and whoever that was that anonymous GM that said that we've got one value contract. I appreciate us the logo appearing once in a in a good context
1: in that list. I you was, get as many votes as Matt Turner. <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> That's impressive. I I was going to say it's probably Albright voting for himself, but he didn't make that contract. So he might actually be impressed with what he walked into. <laughs>
1: Uh, And the other thing I thought uh, was interesting was um, Dom Kinnear was identified as one of the MLS assistants most likely to get a head coaching job. And I wondered if that was somebody poking a little fun of us that Noonan's going to get fired.
0: I, I took it as Kinnear is still the best candidate for a head coaching job regardless unless you're poaching somebody from another team he's the best not head coach head coach out there
2: if you're Kinnear though and you read that (laughs) is there a small part of you that thinks man I need to get out of here before it gets much worse (laughs) (laughs)
1: damn got a head coaching job Jesus
0: yeah speaking of charming guys in interviews how about TT to Ajax? Did did anybody have this on their 2022 bingo card that uh, uh arguably the the worst keeper at MLS history? I'll, I'll just throw that out there blindly. I, I don't know uh, who else could be out there, but uh he I don't ends, know who's going to argue with it? <laughs> he ends up on a on a roster making a Champions League run. Um he's uh I guess second on the depth chart. Tra- you might be third. It looks like they still have an academy player floating around. But what the hell, Grayson? What, what was your reaction?
1: Well, I, I think I think the team was very upfront that their their goal was to sign players, give them playing time, develop them, and move them on to big teams in Europe. And that's exactly <laughs> what they did with TT.
2: What What I want to know first and foremost is if you're reading this and you're Chris Albright. <laughs> How mad are you that you didn't make a call to see if they wanted Kenneth Vermeer? <laughs> like, literally just get this bum out of my sight. And they, 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 we have a perfectly good Kenneth Vermeer here that we could have shipped off to Ajax. It would have looked like the fan base would have built a statue of him in front of TQL Stadium for getting rid of this, the one of the worst assets you can hold outside of Enron stock. And, who used and to
1: somehow... play. He used to play at Ajax, right? It's yes. Like, it's not like they don't know who he is.
0: What's funny maybe that's, the, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they know who he is. <laughs> it's funny to think that if we had kept Teton for whatever reason, but uh but Vermeer was let go, that Vermeer absolutely would have been signed to IX instead of Teton. And it's just insane that two of the worst MLS keepers of all time were probably option one A and one B for IX. <laughs> uh Chief, this weekend, this past weekend, it was Bachfest. Um <laughs> I love Bockfest. I mean, it's it's quintessentially
1: Cincinnati,
2: and there's no reason why it shouldn't be as big as Oktoberfest. Cause... It should
1: not be as big as Oktoberfest. It, it should will absolutely lose. be. It will lose. It is a way better festival than Oktoberfest. It will lose its entire character if it becomes the size of Oktoberfest.
2: See, to me, I I lived in New Orleans for a while, and what I, my goal with all of this is that there should be either Bockfest or Oktoberfest. Pick one. It should be like the carnival of Cincinnati, where it starts on a Friday, it ends on a Sunday, and the locals just get out of town because the entire city is crushed upon by thousands and thousands of tourists, and it becomes a major destination for everyone worldwide. And they pay the bills for every hotel and every restaurant for that one weekend. More. Give me more of all of this. <laughs> Bachfest, give me more Bach beer. Give me more people downtown. It's fun. It's we're celebrating springtime. We've got a billion breweries downtown. I want live music going 24/7. I want bars open the entire night. I want there to be some special code they give to CPD that says we're not arresting for open container for a full weekend. <laughs> Let everyone just get it out of their system. And if we have a soccer game that weekend, God help anyone that's coming from the suburbs to watch it.
0: Oh, they should they should put FCC's home opener on Bachfest weekend every single season. Mm-hmm. That Yes. That feels like an easy win. Absolutely, yes. The only problem with this take of Oktoberfest versus Bachfest is I'm with you 100%. Bachfest. I don't know of it being celebrated really largely anywhere else. This can be Cincinnati's thing. The goat is like a nice little uh, mascot to the whole thing. Uh, you're celebrating the revival of the Rust Belt in a lot of ways. Spring's coming. I'm all for it. 100% way in. The only downside is Oktoberfest beers are just so much better than Bach beers. Just like it's hard to get behind the actual product at the end of the day on the Bach Fest.
2: There is no hangover quite like a Bach beer hangover.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um, gentlemen, I think that's going to do it for postcast episode three. Um, go see
2: the Batman. Go, go see it this weekend.
0: I need to. Man, I, I started off with a hot take that I just assumed this movie uh, committed uh, a classic Batman sin. And if it doesn't, I'm in. I'm way in. Yeah. Um, Grayson? We need about
1: six hour block of time <laughs> I, to see it.
0: At, at a, a P, state approved P first. <laughs> state approved babysitters. It's a whole mess over here. Um, Grayson, thanks for joining me. Chief, thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I I said me. I said us. I, guys, I don't know how to end this. It's not a very good ending. Um, and just, that's where I'm going to end it. Just push the button. Goodbye. Bye.